Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that survived Christmas in reduced circumstances and is ready to look forward to, hopefully, a better 2021 than 2020. And to that end, it's time for our annual cross-sector forecast, looking at what we could expect from across the property spectrum in the year ahead. We will, as usual, be delving into the worlds of commercial, residential and rural property, but we'll also be taking a special look at a subject set to be a driving force in real estate investment this year, the Green Agenda. It's definitely an important year for climate change and almost all of the points that we're hearing about, all of the announcements that are coming up from the government, they will touch real estate in one way or another and it's really important for investors to understand these and what the impacts are likely to be. I'm Guy Ruddle, and although we've had to do it remotely, we've managed to put the band back together, as we've done in the last year and the year before, to talk about cross-sector forecasts. Lucian Cook is with us. He's Head of Residential Research. Hello, Lucian. Happy New Year to you. Hi, Guy. Happy New Year. Matt Oakley is here, Head of Commercial Research. Hello, Matt. Hi, Guy. Great to be back. Emily Norton is here, of course. She's Head of Rural Research. Emily, Happy New Year. Hi, Guy. Happy New Year to you. And joining us this year uh, for this cross-sector review or look ahead is Sophie Chick, who is a director of World Research and no stranger to Real Estate Insights. Sophie, hello. How was Christmas? It was lovely. Thank you. Good. Right. Let's get into this then. I always feel slightly daunted doing the cross-sector forecast podcast because there's so much to talk about. I, th- I think the, the first thing to say to all of you, particularly Lucy and Matt and Emily, who, who were here this time last year, is you can relax a little bit. I'm not going to ask you to, how your last year's predictions have worked out because... Uh, well, obviously, it's been a pretty, pretty strange year uh, for everybody and not one we could have predicted. Instead, perhaps I'll ask you to summarise where you think 2020 has left us in each of your areas. Lucian, why don't you, as head of re- residential research, go first? Where, where, where do you think we stand at the end of 2020? Well, I think from a residential perspective, in a pretty surprising space really given everything that happened um, over the course of last year we had the first modern day recession where the housing market went in a different direction to the economy Uh, we saw incredibly strong transaction levels um, once the housing market reopened um, after the first lockdown and that resulted in price growth um, at a time when the economy was struggling to regain uh, the lost ground um, that, that we saw um, in the second and third quarters of the year. And I think that, that's driven by um, a number of things. Yes, the stamp duty holiday that was offered by the Chancellor played a part, but a lot of it's been driven by behavioural change. It's, it's about people reassessing their work-life balance. It's assessing what they want from their home, um, whether they're going to commute as often or go into the office as often, and therefore reassessing their, their residential property needs. And Matt, from your commercial uh, property point of view, uh, you know, Lucian's talking about how surprising it was the way the residential market reacted. Were, were you surprised at the way the commercial sector behaved? Um, well, I'm so glad you're not uh, not reviewing my forecast from last year to start with, Guy. Um, but surprised in parts and not surprised in others. Generally, the commercial markets behaved in, in exactly the same way as they always do 
um, in a recession or a recessionary period. Uh, the one exception to that was was the industrial or logistics sector, which, um, again, perhaps unsurprisingly, um, had a boom year um, as we all started buying more and more stuff online, as well as a degree of uh, perhaps Brexit related preparing in that sector. But, yeah, no, actually, it was, it was a relatively unsurprising year in a sense that, um, you know, activity levels dropped off across the board. Investors swung towards sort of low risk opportunities. So um, I'm not surprised. Um, but I was surprised. Yeah. And Emily, in the, in the, in the rural market, I mean, we talked a number of times during the year. Uh, I sort of got the impression that it, the, the, the impact was, was less in, in your part of the world, so to speak, or your type of part of the world than it was perhaps in others. Is that right? Or am I imagining that? It has been a very odd year uh, from a rural perspective. Uh, we've been sort of anticipating Brexit and a huge amount of, sort of regulatory and framework change around the industry. But actually, as both Lucien and Matt have alluded to, um, some of those key behavioural drivers across the broader economy have really um, impacted and resonated within the rural sector. So, you know, the shift to being able to work from anywhere uh, has created this whole sort of rural renaissance. And as Matt suggested, that means that people want stuff delivered and they want it delivered all over the country rather than just in predominantly urban places. And so... You know, the rural sector and that demand for rural space has been kind of a beneficiary. And Sophie, uh, from your perspective, you're one of the big themes uh, and maybe, I don't know, positives from this whole pandemic has been, you know, sort of about the environment and less travel and better air quality and, and a variety of other things around that. It, it's been a theme. Is it going to carry on being a theme? Is it going to be a big issue this year? Yeah, so I think the environment is definitely a positive that we can take away from 2020 for a whole number of reasons. Um, and the, the main point is really that the um, the lockdowns and the travel restrictions, they all led to an estimated 7% drop in global carbon emissions over the year. And that's the largest fall since the Second World War. Now, obviously, the way it happened wasn't sustainable, but there is an increased focus on finding those long term solutions. If we look for this year and, and we look at 2021, it's definitely an important year for climate change, not least because there's the climate conference in Glasgow in November, the successor to that crucial Paris meeting in 2015. And that means that we've seen from the government a number of policies put in place to try and um, reach that net zero carbon target by 2050. There's a couple of regulations that are worth investors having a look at. We have the uh, the aim to make the task force on climate related financial disclosures a bit of a mouthful, um, mandatory across the economy by 2025. And actually, some of the requirements are expected to be in place this year. Um, so investors definitely need to start their uh, their preparations. That's one thing. There's there's the minimum energy efficiency standards uh, which are going to be strengthened by the government. There's the green industrial revolution. There's loads of stuff coming out of that. It does seem as if there's an, an enormous amount for property investors and owners and operators to, to think about in this area. Definitely. And, you know, I, I think 
almost all of the points that we're hearing about, all of the announcements that are coming up from the government, they will touch real estate in one way or another. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's really important for investors to, um, to understand these and what the impacts are likely to be. Um, and we do expect more to come, more investment into this, into the green agenda and also more regulation. And that is going to present challenges, but there's also opportunities there. So that's one big theme uh, for the year, the environment and sustainability, etc. But what about each individual area uh, and themes for, for 2021? Matt, why don't we start with, with you? Um, what are your big themes, do you think, looking ahead for the, for the rest of this year? The two big questions for me, I think, for investors looking at commercial property are, you know, is it a sector that is going to see um, change because of uh, COVID and in the period coming out of COVID, the new normal, as, as some might say, or, or is it a sector where the change was underway in the past and, and just will continue? Um, you know, retail undeniably, um, has been in a hard place for a number of years because of the rise of internet shopping. And I think, you know, will remain so. Um, COVID perhaps has accelerated some of that, but equally, um, local high streets across the country that were perhaps empty on a normal working day have been remarkably busy. So, so there's always an upside. That, to a degree, you know, will continue to favour logistics, as I said in the back of the top of this podcast. But, um, you know, generally, I think, you know, many most sectors that investors are comfortable with or were comfortable with will remain so. And we're looking at a very typical sort of post-recessionary pattern. Investors will go risk off this year. Uh, they will herd toward asset classes that they feel are comparatively low risk. And, and traditionally in the commercial property sector, that has been, you know, London offices followed by the big regional cities, logistics. And, and I suppose since the global financial crisis, we, we'd add, you know, anything that goes under the heading of alternatives, which are generally sort of income producing assets, quite often quasi residential. So I think anyone who's worked through um, a post recessionary period in the past uh, will recognize the trends ahead. Uh, I wouldn't put too much weight on sort of seismic change in, in human or corporate behaviour, but I think we are just looking at an acceleration of some of the trends that were in place um, before the crisis, whether that is the rise of internet shopping, um, the decreasing interest in retail, um, or, or increasing interest in alternative asset classes. Lucian, from the on, on the re- on, on the residential side of things, you know, you, you talked about what a what a surprisingly good year. Uh, 2020 was. Is, is that going to carry on, do you think, in, in 2021? Well, I think it will for a period um, because I think a lot of the drivers will be the same. Um, particularly the experience of living from lockdown is likely to continue to drive demand, certainly uh, whilst you still have the stamp duty holiday in place. And I think you should never underestimate uh, people's um, exuberance to, to get in before a stamp duty holiday ends. So I think you will find that acts as quite a distortion in the housing market um, in 2021. I think it'll be a market of three parts, strong first part supported by that stamp duty holiday, some of the further experience of living in lockdown. I think then you are likely to see something of a lull in both housing market activity and indeed um, what happens to prices once you lose that boost from stamp duty and some of the economic realities um, uh, from from lockdown are brought more sharply into focus in the middle part of the year. But I suppose in terms of the light at the end of the tunnel, it, it really is the prospect of a vaccine and that vaccine bringing renewed consumer confidence towards the back end of the year, getting back towards something approaching normality. You might 
drawing back to Matt's points, see what we would refer to as the end of the beginning of the great work from home experiment. And that, again, will bring them up, mean that the housing market is driven by the fundamentals. Uh, it, at that point, it will hopefully be falling unemployment, low interest rates offset by the prospect that you're going to see some tax rises around the corner at some time. And Emily, uh, in your part of the world, um, there's a bit, there's a sort of long-term shift, isn't there, uh, uh, to, towards more accountability uh, for landowners, more more responsibility towards you know um, public you know, public money for public good and all that, and all that sort of stuff. Is, is that an important part of of things right now, or are there other issues which are more important for you this year? I think it really is part of where people should be thinking um, long term. It's probably not the most attractive short term play, but longer term, we really need to make sense of these trends around um, the occupation of land and how people are able to use land and what that sort of baseline um, on uh, land occupation is. And it's, it's not something people are really talking about in the media at all at the moment, very much focused around sort of the next tranche of uh, support payments coming into the industry and the environmental land management scheme. And as you suggested, this whole idea of public money for public goods, which might also leverage new sources of private money for private goods uh, and payments for ecosystem services and all sorts of interesting things going on. Um, but making sense of all of that stuff within this idea of what the regulatory baseline. So what what are the fundamental conditions on using land going to be in the future? And that we're, we're really lacking detail on that at the moment. But it's something that you're lacking detail, but it's coming up fast, right? No, absolutely. So the Environment Bill is this amazingly influential piece of legislation which should eventually uh, make its way through Parliament this year. And that will begin to um, really nail down concepts such as polluter pays, which focuses quite heavily in the EU-UK um trade bill that was just signed before Christmas. You know, these principles which are pretty weakly enforced within um UK land based legislation at the moment may get increasingly tougher uh, on the owners and occupiers of land. Is there a danger that we end up talking or sort of exclusively in, in, in terms of farmland and the, and the like about these issues and carbon usage and, 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 and all that sort of stuff, but actually ignore the fundamental bit, which is, you know, the value of land to produce food and, 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 and other stuff like that? You're completely right. And it's really interesting to see how it's changing on a devolved nation basis as well. So both Scotland and Wales have explicitly said that their post-Brexit agricultural policy will be focusing on sustainable food production. In England, we're getting a policy which you know is only very loosely about food production. It's really about sustainable environmental management. Now, government has been clear that it wants farm businesses and uh, land occupiers to be viably producing food and doing all sorts of amazing things for the environment. But it's less clear what that hierarchy is going to be. At this stage of proceedings, we would normally uh, do a Savile standout statistic. But I think what I'd like to do, if I can, is ask each of you for us a couple of top tips for the year. You know, things to look at, uh, to watch out for this year in 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 your own areas. Um, where should we go first? Let's start with Lucian and the residential sector. Lucian, what are you? What are your two top tips for for 2021? Okay, well, look, at least one of them is the same as last year, because I think its recovery has been put on hold by the unique um, circumstances that we face in 2020. And that is central London 
prime central London residential real estate looks like good value. Uh, values didn't move very much at all over the course um, of this year. We started to see overseas buyer activity and general levels of activity pick up in the third and fourth quarters that suggest that there's life in that market. All of the tax changes that we've seen look like they've been fully absorbed into the market. What we really need is the renewal of some international travel to get some footfall on the streets of central London, to bring some vibrancy back uh, to the streets of, uh, of central London and to allow people to come and view that central London property to put them in a position to buy it. So I still think central London looks like good value, both in an international context and when you look at what's happened to prices historically, let's not forget prices are a good 20 percent below where they were in 2014. Um, the second one comes back, I think, more to, to need, really. Um, and, and, and I think, as Matt has said, you are going to see continued rise in the alternatives. And a key part of that has been residential investments. A lot of that residential investment has been focused on on what we refer to as multifamily. So those are large blocks of multiple units, normally in flatted schemes, uh, which are developed exclusively or primarily for the rental market. The part of the market which perhaps is, is underrepresented in that move um, to alternatives is what we would refer to as single family, which are much more likely to be suburban houses for the rental market. Um, and there, I think there are opportunities. People trade in and out of those houses, even in the rental market, much less often. That adds to the security of their income and the nature of the tenants um, also suggests that the rental security is is better. So, you know, there a, a real opportunity to, to, to move into an undersupplied rental market. Yeah, interesting. Uh, uh, Emily, what about you? What are your two top tips for 2021? Well, forestry tops the comparative returns chart this year, which is awesome for me in rural because we very, very rarely get near the top of that chart. But uh, Congratulations. Well done, Emily. Thank you. Not that it's a competition or anything, but uh, thank <laughs> yeah, you. Uh, and <laughs> it's interesting, though, because, it, it, you know, you, you have to question at what point you go, well, that's an overvalued asset and the returns are not sustainable. Um, but at the moment, the soft power of forestry, you know, people want to own woodland they want to own forestry because they can report on it they can tell the world about how great those trees are you know there's a, there's a huge soft power associated with the ownership of forestry assets and in a winner takes all uh, environment with with very little land coming to the market you know if you can get it <laughs> you can get it so it's it's driving this value appreciation at the moment which is really interesting to see now the counterintuitive bit um of that is probably the bottom end of the market where we see it at the moment. But when you view it through the same carbon lens, um, some of the poorest soils or the most degraded soils uh, in the country also have the greatest power to um, store carbon within them. And so when we look at some of the grade one peatland soils, um, sort of what you would call pure commercial soils, Guy, and this alludes to your point earlier, you know, this is where we grow majority of our vegetables in this country. But you look at where the policy is going, you look at where the market demand is going and the ability of that soil to sequester and store carbon under a land use change uh, scenario. Then, you know, you price carbon into some of those assets and then the value begins to look very different. So that's my sort of slightly counterintuitive um, investment pick. So we're doing pretty well. So that's you know, for, 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 for the price of nothing. We've had four top tips so far. Matt, can, can you add to our riches with two more uh, top tips from your commercial sector? 
Well, worryingly, sort of a decade of working with Lucy, and I finally agree with him, yeah. um, which is, is probably a sign of something. Um, I think you know London look, looks very attractive. London offices, in, in particular, it, it feels totally counterintuitive sat here as, as we all are, and possibly all the listeners are in their homes rather than the offices. But um, I, you know, I, I firmly believe that the majority of people will return to a CBD office um, for the majority of their working time. But I think the definition of what makes a great office is going to increasingly stray into, into Sophie's area of expertise. Um, we're going to be building fewer new office buildings because we always build fewer coming out of a recession. So I think there's going to be a shortage of, of high quality, well-located buildings that tick both the ESG and the wellness boxes four or five years out for enlightened corporates um, to occupy. So I'd be looking very closely at um, developing those. And then I think um, you're left with, well, what do I do with the rest? And I think, you know, the people who always make most money in the commercial property market coming out of a recession you know either just buy stuff very cheap uh, and wait for the pricing to correct or they buy the stuff that nobody else wants and they change it to something else and i think repurposing is going to be a very very hot topic in the commercial property market going forward it's primarily going to come from the retail sector but i think we will see some office and in possibly even industrial assets repurposed and they will be repurposed towards some of the areas that um, um, you know, both Sophie and, and Lucy and, and Emily has been talking about, um, you know, anything with a life science or a healthcare or an ESG or a medical badge um, or just a housing badge, I think is going to be. Um, we're going to see a lot of commercial property changing to those uses over the next five to ten years. Uh, and Sophie, it's probably not quite the uh, uh, the same for you uh, talking about ESG and, and the environment and everything. But but what, what you know, what, what would you be your, your your top tip for what what you know investors, owners, and, and the like should do this year in in that in that area? Yeah, so so not so much of a, a top pick, but I wanted to highlight reporting. Um, so there's the Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark, or better known as uh, GRESB, and this is used by investors to have a better understanding of the ESG performance of their investments. And although it's voluntary, we're seeing participation increase and investors will have to embrace this type of reporting, whatever the ESG credentials are of the assets that they hold. So there we are. We've uh, worked out, I think, exactly what's going to happen for the whole of 2021. And uh, we're recording this on the 4th of January. I want to thank you all, Matt, Lucy and Emily, Sophie, uh, for your wisdom and your time today. Uh, that's been really great. As I said at the beginning, uh, there's so much to talk about when we're looking at the whole year across all these sectors. and I, We've really only scratched the surface, and I, I really would encourage you to, to delve into the detail more in the UK Cross-Sector Outlook Spotlight Report, which you can find, of course, on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. There's plenty to get your teeth into there. And that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening, and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. 
This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.